This this is the Impressions Exchange Podcast. Impressions Exchange Podcast. Where all topics impacting the graphic imaging and printing industry are addressed via in-depth news coverage, analysis, and timely interviews. Hi, I'm Denise Gustafson, Editorial Director for Printing United Alliance and the guest host for this special Printing Impressions podcast series in celebration of Women's History Month, highlighting the women in the printing industry. During this series, I'll have the opportunity to talk with women from all segments of the industry about their experiences and their journey as a woman in the printing industry. So today, it's my pleasure to welcome Adrienne Harrison. She's Vice President of Human Relations Consulting with Printing United Alliance. So Adrienne, welcome. Hi, Denise. How are you? Very good. You are a little bit different than most of the women I've been talking to this I've month. I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're Vice President of Human Relations Consulting. That's a, that's a big kind of a title. So can you explain a little bit about what you do for the Alliance and how that applies to women or even women's issues? I serve as a consultant. I work with the company owners, presidents, basically C-suite individuals and HR people to manage their human component. So that goes everywhere from job postings all the way to terminations and everything in between. And so I do a variety of things in that capacity, such as helping with crafting policies and procedures And then also just day-to-day sort of figuring out leave issues or performance issues or things of that nature, training, things like that. So it really runs a pretty wide gamut. The way that it affects women is, first off, as a woman in the printing industry, I have a very calling, I think, to try to encourage more women to join the industry. And I'm particularly well-suited to do that because of the HR component of my work. So I can talk to people as they're drafting policies for their workplaces and have them consider options that may make it easier for women and other populations to be included in their workforce rather than not being able to find a way to balance that job and their lives. Very, very interesting. So how long have you been doing this kind of work? So I've been in HR for about a dozen years. Before that, I was an attorney. And before that, I was in mortgage banking. So I know it's, so it's a strange, strange trajectory, but it's been a really great journey for me. I've really been enjoying kind of every phase of my career. And I think that's instructive too for women that put a comma on your thoughts because you're not done. There's always something else. And leaving yourself open to possibilities can really be, I think, very affirming and be a positive step in your career. So in terms of printing, when did you kind of get involved with the printing industry through HR or was it on the legal side? It was through HR. I joined the former Printing Industries of America, which uh, merged with SGIA to become Printing United Alliance. And I joined them in late August of 2016, just a couple days before Labor Day weekend. And that's when my first foray into the printing industry. So we're coming up on six and a half years I've been in the industry. Okay, fantastic. So you have a nice background in multiple industries as well, which I think also helps to broaden what you can offer to members and to the industry as a whole. 
Yeah, absolutely. I even had a little stint in there, a part-time stint as a uh, working with a nonprofit. Very yeah, cool. I, I've really kind of covered the gamut of all types of business environments. Who has been the biggest influence on your career and what lessons has that person or those people have taught you? So it's very interesting. I think at the time, I had no idea what an influence this would be, but my very first job out of college was the mortgage banking job. And I came out of college in the mid 80s and it was, there was a recession. It was really a hard time to enter the workforce. And I was in a field, uh, I was a journalism major and I was in a field that was not I was interested in sports journalism, and that wasn't something that women were being embraced for. So in as I was looking for a job in that field, I was offered a job with a mortgage banker, and I took it. That woman who offered the job to me, her name is Lynn Stenson, and I'll never forget her because she was... I, I really believe probably the greatest influence on me and my career and how I approach the work environment. And who knew that your first your first boss is going to be the boss that really imprints such, makes such a difference in your life. But I think she's the one. Lynn had this incredible ability. She was tough as nails. The woman was tough as nails. <laughs> and she was also deeply compassionate and empathetic, but not in a way that was maudlin or treacly. She just understood the balancing of life and work. And I'll never forget it. There was a medical crisis uh, in my family. I had to leave work suddenly. I did not have paid leave. And off I went to help with this medical crisis. She called me up. She said, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. We will cover you. You do what you need to do family first. And that made a huge impression on me because it was the mid eighties and that was not the approach, but she was a single mom in a very, very male dominated environment, but she was a great team builder. Everybody really respected her. She really was smart as could be. And she struck that really great balance of uh, compassion and toughness, but also understanding the balance of life and work. That's so interesting. Her outlook, especially like you said, in the eighties in a male dominated industry, which could be said very much for the printing industry now. I think that's right. Yeah. But how much it shaped who you became and and how it helped to move you through your career as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing, it was a crisis and, and in a crisis, you want somebody to be there for you mm-hmm. to, and to have the security of knowing that I'm not going to lose my job and that there is a person who understands that I'm trying to balance this very tight rope of life and work as a young professional, that was deeply impactful, deeply impactful. And the thing is, is now there is the FMLA, right? And that does protect people's jobs if they have to leave in a medical crisis. But that legislation didn't exist back in the 80s. And so I I so appreciated her approach. I really admired how tough she was, and but she could still build a team and have this great loyal group of people. I mean, it really was such a important lesson to learn. And so I think that's how I approached it. Be firm, but be compassionate. And team building is everything. That's, it's really important. And those are great takeaways. And that's something that applies to every job that you've had through it. And it applies for everybody. That's absolutely right. It has affected every choice I've made. So now talking a little bit about women in the industry and in the workforce, did you ever feel that you had to choose between a career 
and a family? You know, I did. I did. And that's why I don't practice law anymore. And and it's not something that every female lawyer feels, every mother. But I was in a particular area of law litigation where my time is very much controlled by the course of the litigation. And it can mean a lot, a lot, a lot of time away and a lot, a lot, a lot of late nights. And so I did feel like that was not compatible with motherhood in the way that I wanted to practice motherhood. And we did not have income enough to have a double nanny system or any nannies, really. We had traditional daycare. It was just too complicated when my second child was born to balance all of that. And there were some health issues involved there as well. So every time you need to take your child to the doctor or something like that, it just was time away. I remember pumping breast milk in a toilet at a college where I was interviewing students for summer associate positions. And the students that I'm interviewing are coming in there and talking about their interviews that they're going to have with me as I'm sitting in the disabled stall pumping breast milk. It's just a, it's a crazy thing that you end up doing to just make everything work. But at some point it just became unworkable. And so I did feel like I didn't have a choice that either I could be the attorney that I wanted to be or I could be the mother I wanted to be, and that those two things were not harmonious. Do you feel that that's a choice that women are still forced to make? I do. I think it's better than it was 20 years ago when I made it, but not that much better. But I, I think that I think that there, there's really a problem with childcare in the country, mm-hmm. and there's been a problem. There's been a problem with child care availability and cost and equity for child care providers for decades, maybe in perpetuity. However, we've finally reached a crisis point because there aren't enough workers. And so now, now there's a movement to finally address the child care issue because if you provide child care, there's a lot of people who will rejoin the workforce and a lot of those and the vast majority of those are women. So I think that there things are better. And for instance, President Biden just made a decision that uh, chip manufacturers, contractors to the government won't, their contracts are dependent on providing childcare support for their workers. That's the sort of movement that's a game changer and sort of sets a standard. Now it's a subset of a subset, right? It's a small, small thing, but people like me who are HR consultants and I'm asked to speak on things and write about things, I often address childcare. Even for instance, I spoke at the Printing United Expo in Las Vegas last October. And in a discussion about workforce, I showed statistics about childcare and the dearth of childcare and the cost of childcare. And I do think that women are standing on the shoulders of all the generations of women before them to get rights and equity in the workplace. This is the next phase of that. Mm -hmm. I've just heard from friends and family that childcare is just not sometimes attainable. And sometimes it's a matter of you're working just to do your child care. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. And the thing is, is there's a lot of people choose not to have children. Absolutely. But now a bigger part of that decision is being based on the fact that they can't afford child care. They don't want to give up their careers. There's no way to balance the two. The birth rate in the United States has dropped 22% since 2008. 
22%. That is a staggering drop. And that is a very conscious decision by people because it's very expensive to raise children. And a huge part of that expense is childcare. Mm -hmm. Especially if they want to have a career or in some cases they have to have a career because of the cost of living. So there's no way around it. Absolutely. We're, you know, the days of having a single income household are really pretty numbered. I'm as old as the hills, right? So I grew up at a time when all the, not all the, but many, many, many families had stay-at-home moms. Mm -hmm. There are fewer and fewer and fewer of those choices being made because they just can't. And there's a lot, a lot of single parents out there who cannot stop working to take care of their kids, but here they are in this really impossible position where they can't afford childcare. And I think a lot of this also was revealed in some ways during COVID because proportionally more women left the workforce during COVID because maybe they were the ones that they were making less than their husband or their partner. So, well, we can, we can afford for you. You need to stay home because the kids are home. Right. But then does it go back to the traditional, well, it's the woman always takes care of the kids. Are we falling back on that as well? Right. I think that, honestly, I think that both of the things that you pointed out are accurate. I do think that there is a tradition and maybe a stronger desire for women to be the caregivers. But I also think that a huge, huge part of it is that women just made less money. And so if you make less money, it makes more sense that you're the one that stays home with the child. And here's the thing, that's the, that is what perpetuates the issue of women making their way through into the upper echelons of companies and in their career, because women do make less money. So then it makes sense for them to be the one to sacrifice. But then when you hop back into the workforce, you're hopping back into the workforce with less seniority less pay because of less seniority, your skill set's probably rusty from however many years you spent out of the workforce. And all of a sudden, you're just underappreciated and or underutilized because of these factors. And you, the lost income, there's tons of statistics, and, and this is inspiring me to write a follow-up article, but there's tons of statistics about how the long-term consequences of taking these steps out of the workforce and then coming back in, the consequences of that on lifetime income for women. And it is dramatic. Mm -hmm. One of the women I talked to, she did take time off and she took time out to raise her kids. That was her choice. And she doesn't regret it. But going back into the workforce after so many things have changed and in technology, especially in printing, things had changed dramatically over that time. Yeah, so that's, she, a, that, that's exactly right. And you have to relearn it yeah. or not even relearn it, learn it for the first time. And you have to find an employer who's willing to take a chance on hiring you and training you and invest that income of training and time into bringing you into their team. I, I took six years out of the workforce. And so I understand that dynamic. It was a choice, but was it really a choice? It was a mm-hmm. choice. I don't regret it, but had I been presented with other choices, I'm not sure that's the choice I would have made. But at that point, there was no other options. No, not really. I mean, yeah. in my particular case, I'm married to a school teacher, public school teacher. It's not like we're Wall Street financiers and we have all the money in the world. We didn't. And even though I was the greater breadwinner, 
there were a bunch of other aspects to the financial equation that made it logical for me to step away and not him. So I understand that dynamic. But your point, which I think is really, really good, is that we have to understand that if we're hiring women into the workforce after a period of being out of the workforce. We have to invest in training opportunities for them. I'm a huge champion of the Alliance's iLearning Plus because there's an affordable opportunity to train people and not just women, but other vulnerable populations who have been out of the workforce to bring them back into the workforce, which would solve so many problems, not just for our employers who need more people, but also for the people themselves that need a chance. And this training platform seems like, oh, it's just a training platform, but it's not. It's a door into a whole nother world of opportunity. It's such a, a wonderful chance to introduce a whole slew of people that would not otherwise come to printing into printing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that has been recurring with most of the women I've spoken to this year so far for this special series is that people just don't understand the opportunities that are available within the printing industry. They always think about it. It's just the one thing. It's print. It's just. Oh, it's it's the the sky's the limit. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you, Denise, better than most people or any people I know, you understand every different vertical of printing and within every vertical, all the different opportunities. And while the industry may consolidate with the number of printers, the actual volume of printing isn't going down. It's Mm -hmm. everything, literally everything has it's it's touch to printing. And so the opportunities are incredible. And that's why I think it's so important to bring women and other people who have not been introduced to our industry into our industry. Because if you've been sitting on the sidelines looking for a chance to get ahead in the world and build your career, this is a great opportunity to do it. Our yeah. industry presents a lot of promise. And in every community in the United States of America, there are printers. I mean, at some level, there's a printer in every little town. I grew up in a tiny little rural community that had like three printing companies there when I was little. Like, I don't know how many are still there. Probably not three. But it was really something that that was a major employer and every town needs a printer. Mm-hmm. And one thing people think about printing, it's just the actual printing. So the, the press men, and that's a whole different thing, press yeah. person the person running the presses that are actually producing it, but there's, there's finance, there's marketing, there's sales, there's customer service. There's so many different ancillary services that go along with running that business. And and that's another good point. So a lot of women are drawn to sort of the, the non-mechanical parts of, of industry. So marketing is a big thing and that's Mm -hmm. heavily dominated by women user interface and user experience people that cuts across both men and women, but there's a lot of women in that industry. There's a lot of women in customer service. And as you said, these are all components of, of pretty much every printer. But I think people don't understand too, that printers aren't just printers, right? They are mm-hmm. multi-platform media companies. That's what printers are. And as that, they are providing jobs that are very appealing to women very appealing. And we need to reach out and publicize that these opportunities are available because it really 
look, the sky's the limit. It really is. There's a lot here for women. And I'm not, it's not to say that women can't be pressmen, uh, press people, and they can't be on the production floor running these cool machines because the machines are pretty cool. I gotta oh, say, they they're, they're very cool. They absolutely can, but there's also more than that. So, yeah. I mean, one of the, the women I spoke to last year, she was lead on a press and she had seen it and she said, look, I can do that. I can. And that's what she wanted to do because that was her. She liked that part of the job. Yeah. But yeah. For, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I encourage I see all these things on social media of women who are sort of strapping on the tool belts and remodeling their homes and mm-hmm. have turned it into both a social media empire and frankly, really cool houses and building really cool stuff at their houses. And I think this is dispelling the myth that women don't like to roll up their sleeves, get their hands quote unquote, dirty and do physical, mechanical things. They absolutely do. And again, opportunities exist at every corner of the printing industry for everyone's interests, including Mm -hmm. those. And I have to say, I admit, I am very good with a nail gun and a miter saw. That's all all right. So so you can come over to my house. (laughs) I got a a honey-do list that will make your head spin. (laughs) So one of the things that women have dealt with a lot over the years, it's something that I think I've seen and and heard from a lot of people is imposter syndrome. And women don't, they feel that someone's going to figure out that I just don't know what I'm doing. Right. And then I'm going to be out. So how do you navigate? I mean, is that something you've ever had personally? Like on the daily, daily, it's an imposter (laughs) syndrome. I'm I'm always like, wait, is this really me? Can I really do this? Is it? This is another thing. And again, there are tons of studies to back this up. Women, more so than men, and more so than any other special affinity group in the country, women feel that they have to be, have a level of expertise in order to do something that nobody else feels that they need. And because you can't really have the expertise until you're in there doing the thing, they always feel at a much higher percentage, women feel that they are an imposter and that they're not qualified. It stops women from applying for positions. It stops women from, once they're within an organization, seeking to go higher within that organization. There are so many women who have held themselves back. And my message to them, and I've done a little bit of coaching of of people, but both men and women, and I always say, don't be the person that says no to yourself. But that imposter syndrome is what holds people back. And that's the little voice in your head that says, no, don't do that or don't apply for that. You're not qualified. Or, oh, don't, don't seek that promotion. They'll never pick you. You're not really qualified. You don't really know what you're doing. You know what? Do it do it. Swing. As Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. Don't be the person that says no to yourself. Take the shot and do it because I live in a perpetual state of imposter syndrome. But oddly enough, I'm well into the (laughs) decades into my career and I'm still doing it. So it's just, it lives in our heads. I don't know if it's something that we took in from our parents or media or whatever, but for whatever reason, it lives in the heads of women much more so than any other group of people. So it's easier said than done to just say, just go do it. Is there things that women can do to help to alleviate that imposter syndrome? Is it just, you know, making sure you know everything, but I mean, that's just out of the question. We can't do that. 
yeah, you can't know everything. What you do need to know when you're throwing your hat uh, in a ring for like a promotion or something like that, do your homework, do the background. You can't know everything, but the things you can know are the general responsibilities of the position. And then look back at your own resume. I really encourage people to look at their own resumes and say, oh, you know what? I did this and this was analogous to that or it was the same thing. It's just in a different context. So it reassures you that you, in fact, have had those skills and remind yourself of situations that you've been in that mirror the situation that you're striving to achieve. So that's a very, very helpful thing. The other recommendation would be is to know the lingo. So you're never going to know all the lingo, just like you're never going to know all the things. However, if there are there are often key words that are used regularly in a particular area of business or industry that have just common usage. You need to know those words, the, the common usage words, right? So mm-hmm. that's what I would do. And then, then go for it. Just go for it. You can, you learn as you go and you'd be surprised at how much skill you can bring to the table. And that includes women who have been out of the workforce and are re-entering because a lot of the skills you use to manage your household can also translate to managing people and other situations. And departments and whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things you have imposter syndrome, and that sometimes can be very discouraging because maybe women don't go for that promotion or they don't put themselves out there. So have you ever been so discouraged that you've wanted to quit Absolutely. Absolutely. I think particularly in things where you just, you walk in cold. I I remember walking in as an attorney and I was assigned to do a deposition. I'd been there for three days. I'd been literally at the law firm three days and I was handed a case file and they're like, okay, you go cover this deposition. And I I was dumbfounded and I walked up to a partner and I said, "Is, is there anybody coming with me on this? And they're like, oh no, no, you're going by yourself. And I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And they said, sink or swim, Adrian, sink or swim. That's how we do it here. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I don't know. I guess given the choice, I chose to swim. But there was certainly moments there where I was like, am I in over my head? Should I just pull out of this and pivot to a different angle on the career transactional Mm -hmm. thing where I work as a team versus covering a deposition in some big major litigation (laughs) case I've never seen before. Holy criminy. Um, So yeah, yeah, I've confronted it a lot. Here's what I would say to people. You're stronger than you think you are. So that's one thing. You are absolutely stronger than you think you are. When you're in a situation where you think, "I, I, I think I have to quit, that's always an option. And it's not necessarily a bad option, right? It just may be a bad fit. But I would encourage you if you like what you're doing and you do see that there could be a future at this place that you're working, don't quit. Don't quit. Fight your way through it. Do whatever affirmations you need to do to get yourself there. But you are stronger than you think. And tell yourself that and remind yourself of tough situations that you've been in. And then I hand to God, I will tell you that when you get through that situation, you will feel stronger. You will absolutely feel accomplished and you will be proud that you did it. And that will carry you through the next one and the next one. And each time you do it, you realize a little more until finally you don't question yourself and you don't think, well, I have to quit because I just can't do it or I'm afraid or this is just too much. 
if you make a decision to quit, it's not for those reasons. It's just because you don't want to be there. It's a different foundational premise. So I say you're stronger than you think you are. Power through it and you'll be glad you did. Okay, good. So I'm going to shift a little bit now to talk a little bit about leadership. In the printing industry as a whole, it's very much male dominated as across the board. Yes, there's certain pockets, marketing, maybe graphic design where it might be more heavily women, but as a whole, especially in the C-suite, it's primarily men. Yes. So the question is for women that are trying to find their way, maybe they are, they want to go for that promotion. How can they develop leadership skills so that way they can take those next steps? So within the organization, there are often opportunities that present themselves to volunteer to take the lead on a new project or rolling out a new thing or being first to try something. Raise your hand for those opportunities and do them. And then you help guide the people that are going to do them after you. So right there, that's leadership. I would also say that you should make your intention known, depending on sort of the quote unquote political environment of the place that you're working. I don't see any flaw in most situations of letting upper management know, I am interested in rising within this organization and please consider me when you're looking for people to take the lead on projects and other things. So make yourself available and make your intentions known. I think that's super helpful to try and break through. I also think that you generally, and this isn't just women, this is anybody, I think, but in particular, since we're speaking, this audience we're speaking to is primarily women, I think. You want to learn to have the hard conversations. It's my experience that people don't know how to do that without becoming angry or really upset and shaky during those conversations. So learning to have a difficult conversation, again, like my old boss, Lynn Stenson, where you strike that toughness and compassion balance and you learn to have that conversation, not shy away from hard conversations. That is something that most people in leadership can't do. So if you can do it, you're already putting yourself ahead of some people that may already be there in this Mm -hmm. particular area. So learn to have a hard conversation because unfortunately, when you are in leadership, you have to have a lot of those. That's just a thing. You have a lot of really great conversations too, but there's there's at least a third of your conversations that are going to be ones where you're shutting down projects or terminating employees or severing partnerships or negotiating and you have to hold your ground. Those are really important skills to have and not a lot of people have them. So you'll set yourself apart, I think, by learning to have a hard conversation. And the other thing too is, You have to brush yourself off. Don't take things so personally that it just forever puts you on the bench. If you have a setback in your career, just try to make it right and move forward. And if you have screwed something up, own it, just own it and and apologize or whatever you need to do to make it right, fix it, and then move forward and brush yourself off because we all fall down. And this is a, a trope in the world. You fall down, but it's the people who get up that move forward. And so that's what you need to do to prepare yourself for leadership. Mm -hmm. Now, a question on kind of on the flip side for business owners, Mm -hmm. how important is it to have women in the C-suite? Underline exclamation point, very important. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right. Here's the thing. 
any diversity in the C-suite is important because I think that a lot of people load up their leadership team and it becomes an echo chamber. So you never hear a counter point of view. You never get the opposite. People are just affirming your decisions. And you know what? Ultimately, that's not going to work. You're going to have a major failure because somebody didn't point out to you a problem with something. And nobody's perfect. I mean, there is no leader out there that makes 100% great decisions. They need people to point out, hey, you know, have you considered this? What about that? So diversifying your group so you don't have an echo chamber, one. Two, women tend to, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but tend to be more empathetic than men. It is my experience, both in life and in my career, that men don't often get to know their teams in a way where they can recognize perhaps some skills that aren't on the surface that are a little further below and see that this person has potential to be a real superstar in a particular area because they just haven't gotten to know that person well enough. My experience is that women tend to get to know their employees a little more, a little deeper. And by doing that can recognize talent and also see potential in people that may otherwise have been missed. Also can see red flags and avoid problems perhaps that might arise with an employee who isn't ready for a position. So I do think that diversifying your workforce with women brings the opportunity to find the gems in your workforce that you didn't know. And also, frankly, women are historically multitaskers. And that also brings a perspective of efficiency and multitasking and how people can be used in several different ways within their roles at the company. And that might ultimately be more efficient, save some money and things like that. So my final question, and it's kind of riffing off talking about diversity within the workforce is how can the print industry try to, or even just print companies themselves, appeal to more diverse people, whether it's women, whether it's overlooked minority groups, how can we as a whole, as an industry, start to appeal to larger groups of people? We touched on it a little bit, but, you know, just kind of yeah, as a, absolutely. a conclusion. In, in sort of the nuts and bolts way of doing it is don't just post your job on Indeed. Don't do that. What you need to do is make connections within your community in different areas of your community. So if you have community centers, start going there, do a job fair at a community center. A community center located in the suburbs, a community center located in the city, in various places within and that's one way. Another way is to connect with community leaders. If you are looking for women, for instance, to diversify your workforce, well, then maybe you want to connect with people at schools, which are heavily populated with women. And there's tons of women who volunteer at schools who maybe would like to join the workforce. If you want to diversify with people of color, go to the places that the people of color live and work and recreate. So. I find that clergy and religious leaders are really tuned into the community. They know pretty much every vulnerable group and every sort of underrepresented group in the workforce is somehow connected with various members of clergy in the various areas they live. So connecting through churches, synagogues, temples, things like that, I think are really a good and useful way. But just 
you have to go to the community. You have to make those connections. Don't just post jobs on LinkedIn and Indeed and expect to get a diversified response or any kind of sort of focused response to your posting. Very, very good advice. Adrian, we've talked about a lot of different topics today and we are actually out of time. So I want to thank you so much for taking some time today to chat with me. Thanks, Denise. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for this conversation. I'm grateful that you're doing this uh, series for Women's History Month. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you again. And I know we'll probably be in touch again to kind of continue this conversation at some point through the year. Anytime. I'm ready. (laughs) Awesome. 